McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, in Box Peel Forecast, episode 122. Well, it's three goals for the Blues, but still not a win. During the podcast today is Andy Mitchmore. How are you, Andy? Hello, buddy. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. It's been an interesting few days, hey? Looking forward to dissecting it with you both, as always. Well, it's never a dull moment, is it, being a Pompey fan? after the the shockingness of Cambridge. But it was good to be back at Fratton Park with the boys and the girls all together at the brewery, seeing your lovely faces there. And one of the other people who is there with us is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm doing all right here, yeah. Um, it was weird to be have a game at Fratton Park, but then have Saturday and Tuesday watching both games live. It was exactly what I wanted, uh, apart from the result on Saturday. That was pish. <laughs> it was not what, not what I thought it would be. No, we built it up, didn't we? We all thought we'd get this one. It'd be the bounce back game, the one to turn it around. But it wasn't to be, but we all had a, had a good time. We even met some of uh, the listeners there as well. That was decent. Nice to see everyone out. Had a few bevies, but Freddie, how's the job of the news going? Yeah, going fine. Uh, getting settled in. All, all, all my co-workers are really nice. Yeah, just generally knuckling down, learning, learn, learning new stuff every day. All going very well, yeah. Great. And I'm actually feeling back to back to my best now. I think the weekend was the first day I actually felt properly well. I know I've been doing the podcast for a few weeks, but I actually felt like I could have a few beers back in the game. So, all right, let's just get this going now because we've got quite a lot to cover today. So, first of all, we're going to briefly review the shocking display against Cambridge. Follow on from that, we're going to review the much more improved attacking display against Plymouth. And then we went out to you guys, and thanks again. I mean, I put this question out there for you to answer, and thank you for the people that did respond to it, because I put it out really late, like really late, like an hour before I've got my microphone here. So everyone who messages in rapidly, really appreciate it. And we asked you guys, how can Danny Cowley turn these draws into a win? And finally, we speak to Lewis from Charlton Live to tell you everything you need to know about the game on Saturday against Charlton. Right, let's get into it. Cambridge and I'll sort of pause there boys because I'm sort of struggling to see how how I sort of start this game off because it was a bit it was encouraging at first wasn't it Freddie that we had a certain amount of possession of the ball and you were just hoping that Pompey would find their way into it by playing the ball round and you you were just waiting for that to click but it just didn't really happen no the uh the final ball was the biggest problem wasn't it I think that's been a major issue in one of the few games where and Cowley's mentioned it before as well. The play between the boxes is nice, but once I think it gets to the front three and in certain areas, if a side sits back and fills the penalty area and there's no gaps, then a lot of the attacking talent, I, I say talent, the attacking talent that we have 
on paper that's supposed to be better than that's performing now, they struggle a lot where they don't make the right pass or they're not brave enough to have a shot when they potentially could have done. And that was the main problem against Cambridge. And those frustrations were exacerbated when literally the first, the first chance that Joe Ironside had, he put away. It was uh, it was the start of a, a start of a pretty dreadful performance, to be honest with you. Yeah, it was. But Andy, just before we get cracking into the into the goals, because I've got a little bit to say about what we said about the aerial threat of Cambridge in particular and how Pompey was supposed to manage that. But were there any positives you could take from the way that Pompey played before we sort of get uber critical into the the micro elements of the game? I think if you're looking early doors, you'd say that, I mean, I thought Pompey looked like the home team before we conceded the first goal, which is a sort of a a backwards compliment almost because we kept possession but didn't really look like creating anything huge. I think Harrison had one header over fairly early on but it it was just a bit of a damp squib to be honest. I'm going to go out there and say that from two o'clock onwards was the least I've enjoyed an afternoon at Fratton Park for I would say five years I think for the occasion as a whole. It's a big claim I know. I can see the look on your face but I think the event as a as a whole, was probably the least I've enjoyed an afternoon for a, a large number of reasons, some of which uh, the club were responsible, some they weren't. But performance-wise, on the pitch, yeah, we looked like the home team for a large proportion of the time before we scored the goal, but you'd expect that. Again, no disrespect to Cambridge, but they're coming into the game off the back of a 5-1 defeat against Lincoln. We damn well should like the ho- look like the home team at home against them to start the game off. That's not a huge compliment. And you'd say that the goal we conceded was, yeah, early on, slightly against the run of play, slightly. But again, there just wasn't really a big response to it, which is, uh, yeah, a bit of an issue for me. And that we we heard after the MK Dons game that one of the biggest disappointments was how there wasn't a response after conceding. And I didn't really see a response after conceding here either. So it, it worries me that some either lessons were learnt or lessons were learnt, but the contingency or the fix wasn't implemented well after we conceded, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a pretty, that's pretty fair analysis. And I think the fact is that you know, we all knew that Joe Ironside was good in the air. It was something that we spoke to the guys before about it in the preview. It was something that the players would have seen as well in the aerial threat. I think for their first goal, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he sort of manages to get the marker, sort of really good matchup there against Romeo or someone at the back by the back it's, post. He so, gets in between between Romeo and Downing, I think. Yeah, well, I've just forgot about Downing. Then I've just cleared him out my memory and just you know highlighted a player that I want to actually be on the pitch. But I think so. Sorry about that. But I think the fact is really is that it's a very sort of easy thing for him to win the ball there. And you have to think that someone like Downing really has to get tighter to him, a centre-back who's got a bit more height, who actually can have a chance of winning that ball in the air against him. Downing, as we touched on him, boys, has a poor game again for Pompey at the back, which is obviously bitterly disappointing considering our centre-back depth. But... No, do you know what? Let's move on from that and let's go to up front. We spoke about we spoke about the strikers. You spoke about Harrison having that headed chance. But to be fair to Harrison, Freddie, can we judge him on that performance? Or is it just simply the fact that he had absolutely no service from the midfield? Yes and no. Um, yes, the service to him was pretty pitiful. Um, I don't know. It didn't help that Williams and Tunnicliffe, I don't think, had good games in midfield either. There were a lot of misplaced passes, um, all the right pass not being taken. They went safe a, a bit more than I thought they would. 
But when a, when a striker doesn't get the service, they have to make up for it by at least wanting to try and get into play, which I don't think Harrison did. Say what you want about John Marcos, but if he doesn't get the service, he at least tries to get into play off the ball. I think Harrison's movement off the ball was poor. Um, same with a lot of the players in that game, to be honest. I think that was one of the main cruxes. But he didn't impose himself enough for me. Um, and I think a lot of the credit he got from scoring a hatchery against Wimbledon eroded in that game. You could make many excuses, but he, he, he like some, some of the other players, didn't take their chance on Saturday. I'm going to disagree with you slightly a little bit there, Fred. I think there were a couple of occasions. I mean, you you expect a striker to get into a goal-scoring position, like a genuine goal-scoring position, where you'd expect them to take one of those chances in a match, like maybe maybe five, eh, four times in a game, potentially. I think Harrison got into those positions maybe three or four times and didn't get the service. The most striking one for me was first half, where Harness took far too long. Pompey had like a three-on-three. Three. Harness was breaking down the middle, Curtis on the left and Harrison making just the, it was a simple run, but he made the correct run at the right time on the right. And Harness just held onto the ball for far too long. And then when he did play the ball, it was um, not, not a good through ball and the chance disappeared. I think we got a corner out of it. So I, I think he was putting the legwork in for me. I would mostly blame the service. But having said that, when he did get the chances like the header, Unfortunately, wasn't able to take them this time around, but I would probably put more blame than it sounds like you would on on the midfield service there. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of leaning towards Andy's point of view on this purely because I, I think that I just I just don't think that Marquis either is is getting into the right spots to score goals sometimes as well. I think he when he's he's got volume chances sometimes and it's coming across, but I don't think he's necessarily providing that much off the ball either really and he's he looks very hesitant at the same time so I don't know if it's necessarily fair and we'll come on to the next game against Plymouth and how he he had an impact on the game there compared to Harrison and what we think about the team going forward but I don't think it's necessarily all to blame there on Harrison for not he's not kind of striker he's going to pick the ball up dribble it around a few players is it and put it in the bottom corner so he needs needs to have the balls put into the right position. I just think Pompey didn't really know how to get the ball into him properly. I don't know if that's because they weren't used to him playing up front or they weren't quite sure how to utilise him. But it all looked very slow and very clonky, didn't it? And the, the link-up play wasn't there, which is where I sort of do agree with Freddie a little bit. Um, let's just talk about Ronan Curtis's goal. Then I want to move on from this game because it's you know he's miserable and I think we've got some good points to talk about in the Plymouth game. But Ronan Curtis gets that chance, puts one away... It's a consolation goal in the end, I suppose it turns out to be. But it's good to see Ronan Kirst get on the, on the score sheet. Definitely took it very well. Lovely technique. Um, there was the rise from the team in the 75th minute after the second goal, after the after Cambridge players celebrating in front of our end, which should never happen. Uh, I mean, how, how, many, how many times does Liam O'Neill take on that shot and actually score from there? I said goal as soon as he hit it. The technique from him was spot on. But it was way too late for me. It was way, it was way too late. You can't uh, Pompey can't play reasonably for a quarter of an hour when they're two 0 down and expect to get anything from that game. They didn't deserve it. Pompey had higher XG for that game, but it didn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't put that much on that given the context of the whole game. I don't think. 
I think a bit of credit to the crowd as well, uh, potentially for the last, well, for most of the second half, even with the game in a very frustrating position. We've spoken in the last few weeks about the crowd being a tool for good rather than a tool for pressure. And I think the largely, the, the very large majority stayed with the team, um, even when it was 2-0. And then especially when, yeah, obviously when it was 2-1, the crowd gets behind the team. And unfortunately, we weren't able to pull an equaliser out the bag. But I do think that that deserves a mention and that that led into what was an electric atmosphere Tuesday night. Yeah, so let's move on to Tuesday night. I unfortunately couldn't make the game because I was working, which sucks. But luckily, Freddie was there to experience the atmosphere and tell me about how good it was. So mm-hmm, feel a bit jealous, but great for that. So let's move into the game generally. Probably go 1-0 up. It's a perfect start to the game. Cheeky free kick there. Curtis looks like he's going to hit it. The wall thinks he's going to hit it. They jump up. Lee Brown plays that classic driving the ball on the floor free kick. He scored that other one, didn't he? Where he sort of did the same sort of thing and he did the the five celebrations in one. Um, and I also didn't bet on him in that game. I, I, I literally have to borrow a few pounds when Lee Brown is playing at the end of the month because that's the problem now. I get paid on Friday and I thought, no, I can't spend my last few quid on betting on Lee Brown. Be throwing it away, and guess what? Lee's come back round and slapped me in the face of another goal to become Pompey's new leading goal scorer in League One. Freddie Webb talked me through what it felt like to be there during that goal. It was um, a complete 180 on the atmosphere from Saturday, which personally I would have wanted. Uh, I think many people noticed it was my first game at Fratton Park since May 2019, the one all draw against Accrington. That was the Cambridge game. And like Andy said, I didn't enjoy the experience as much as I thought I would have done. I was a bit sentimental, which is essentially why I may have enjoyed it more than other people who go to the ground every week. But my God, the atmosphere, completely 180 on Tuesday, fully backing the fully backing the team. Uh, the players responded. There was clear that there was fight, there was effort. Tackles were flying in pretty much with the word go. And the early goal lifted the crowd a lot. And it's that's that's what that that's the Fratton atmosphere. That's the Fratton Park atmosphere, which makes people want to go to that ground every week. It was it, it was it was amazing to be a part of. Obviously, Danny Cowley goes for quite a I'm going to say aggressive but brave, maybe brave formation change. He changes it up. He goes to three at the back, the three four one two formation. We're playing with two makeshift centre backs at the back. Andy, how do you think in a hole in a sort of uh, macro point of view that this actually went down with the formation are you pleased with the general look of the formation and can we, if we cut those mistakes out is this the formation to take us forward I like it uh, I absolutely do I think it shows some outside the box thinking you saw in one of Danny Cowley's interviews he said he was pleased with the players because they only had four days to get to grips with the formation I think is the wording he used which suggests that he is completely sat down and gone right Saturday did not work this needs a rethink these need a re- this needs a reshuffle and they've come in Sunday and tried sort of and now for something completely different kind of Monty Python vibes that's a very niche reference that neither of you probably watch um but I've watched Monty Python before so okay I, good I stuff yeah it. sweet yeah Monty Python fine circus anyway it's not yeah, cricket I, mate it's fine. I'm on board. One day I'll make a reference that you're on board with. It will probably involve. Actually, I'm not going to say that. The Holy um, Grail of promotion to the championship. There we go. There it is. You're involved. But uh, yeah, I I do like the formation. I think as a whole, 
it lined up quite nicely. It gave us a slightly different threat than we've seen in the last couple of last couple of games. And as you say, it's individual mistakes that cost us. It wasn't a, an issue with the system. It wasn't like a systemic problem with the game. It was unfortunately, yeah, individual mistakes cost us in this one and almost cost us end, like, getting anything from the game at all. But yeah, I really like that they've gone away literally the day after the Cambridge game and said, right, we're giving this a go. This is what we think is the best way of approaching the Plymouth game. It's something completely different that we haven't really seen before. And I think it's something that potentially we could stick with over, well, in, in certain games, probably more home than away uh, in the coming weeks. I, yeah, I quite like how we played with the exception of the individual mistakes. And that was with a makeshift side as well. That was with a makeshift three centre-halves with, with Freeman who would probably want to play as the right wing back and Sean Williams, who's definitely not a centre-half. <laughs> he still played reasonably well for that role. And it that formation, I could, I could see it really working. It, I, I could see it with a little bit more precision in the passing because that was probably one of the frustrations of the game. But Pompey created a lot of chances in that game, despite some people behind me at the front end saying we didn't. Nonsense. Um, it, but the main thing was just that tiny bit of execution on the final ball that was off. Um, and that was with a lot of the players. That was <laughs> It was a bit frustrating at times. Harness, perfect example. Always looking for the right pass. He wins the ball back. He, he was pressing properly. But then the through ball was off or... Uh, one of one of the balls from the wings would uh, would go in and it would be slightly away from uh, the striker, which was a bit frustrating. But I can see I could see that working, and I guess and I guess the best start of some of the players Pompey have. I mean, uh, people are saying that Ogilvy's not really a left back, but he's de- he's definitely a left side of centre half back. He's got that defensive prowess, but and, uh, but but isn't completely alien to uh, playing the ball out of his feet. But he doesn't have that drive that a lot of modern fullbacks and wingbacks have. Uh, and, and I also think it gets the best out of Romeo. I thought Marlon Romeo was one of the best players from the two games. He's impressed me a lot. Um, he's always willing to try things, always willing to skin a defender, but he's aggressive enough to always get stuck in as well. And he's got the technique to bring the ball out and put a lot of crosses in. He's That's definitely a coup of a transfer, I think. I think... Uh, if he, if he remains this season, uh, he may he he's a big addition for why this formation could work. Over overall, I liked it, even with a makeshift side. Uh, but we'll go on to the individual mistakes in a minute that basically cost Paul Pompey the three points. I think one of the positives to come out even from the last two games has been, for me, the start of the the relationship between Romeo and Harness. And Harness hasn't had fantastic games. That's not what I'm saying, but the bits where Romeo has shone, have tended to involve some sort of build-up play with Marcus Harness. It's been fairly noticeable that there hasn't been a sort of, not a telepathic connection, but you haven't felt like there's that link there like you have with Brown and Curtis on the left, where a lot of the time with those two, you feel like they know exactly where the other one is without looking, just because they've played so many minutes together as much as anything. Harness and Romeo started to look like they had some more of a connection in this, particularly in the Plymouth game for me. Um, not to say that the performance was perfect, but I think Harness is going to be vital if we get, or if we're looking to get the best out of Romeo through the season. No, I definitely agree with you. Harness got, got a lot of ire in that game, mainly because 
he's very good with the creativity, but the end product isn't there. There was one example where Poppy, I think, two one down. He was he he it was the ball square to him. He was four yards out. Should have had a shot. Should have just laced it, put his foot for it, in with it, even with a defender in front of him. But he tries to overplay it and square it, and that's the biggest criticism for me with Harness. He overplays it a lot. But, but Fred, he... Fred, do you not do you not think though that I mean we're talking about him playing down the right, overplaying it, players playing out of position, players playing in position, whatever. He's he was really played as a ten in this game, wasn't he? He was played in front of the in front of the midfield. Is that not right? Hmm. He was, but he had, he had to he drifted out wide a lot. He wasn't. So, he, he he was central out of possession where he won the ball a lot which was very good but then drifted out wide mainly to link up with Romeo and the wing back mm-hmm. so um, do you think though that him playing in that position where he has more of a floating role when he gets used to that do you think that's going to be more beneficial to his game and help him to open up teams with his passing I think so because it, it plays to strengths and I think in in League One that's what you have to do you have to create a formation and a style of play that plays to the strengths of the players you, that you have and that's why Portsmouth struggled for so long at getting over the line even when you look at it on paper some of the players are good enough they were used in the wrong way um, I think I, I could definitely see Harness as more of a, a creative 10 if uh, Cowley wants to go down that route um, it puts less, less emphasis on uh, him shooting and scoring goals one player I did want to highlight as well, and I think we're talking about how the three in the middle, we didn't know the defined roles. We spoke about this last week, the sort of Williams, uh, Turnercliffe and Morell. Now Williams obviously pulled back into defence for this game, but you had Turnercliffe playing there with Joe Morell, who looked, a, I think this has got to be said, it's probably his best game for Portsmouth um, on the pitch. Is this the real Joe Morell we're going to see now? And can him and Turnercliffe in this system really start kicking up a partnership that can actually sort of play forward but also sort of track back and, and dominate the centre of midfield I think so I would definitely agree with you that it was the best game I've seen him have in a Pompey shirt by probably a distance he's at times looked a little bit swallowed up in previous games I think whereas in the Plymouth game it looked like he was managing to find space not just around him but also space in front of him to run into and rather than just being a sort of a piece of the jigsaw he kind of he ran the show a little bit more, to be honest with you. And yeah, I think looking forward, that's definitely a big plus for for the system we just mentioned is that it's potentially going to let us get the best or not exploit the best, but see the best out of a player who, you know, with, with an international career going on as well, he potentially could be one of the key players this season. He's an extremely good player on his day. I've seen him play a decent amount for Wales and what we've seen so far from Morel hasn't been what I'm used to seeing in a red shirt. So I, I think this system allowed him to play in a way that I recognised a lot more from, from international duty. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think he's going to be a big player for us. I liked how he played in this game. I liked his link-up play. And I think it was a little bit clearer, the roles. That having someone like Harness just sat in front, and yes, he drifted out wide, but it sort of made that a bit clearer, didn't it, in the middle of who was doing what, I think, as such. Let's move on to the end of the goal for this one. So, under pressure, Fred, I got to the stage, I was listening to the game and I thought, oh, it's one of those ones, you know, Pompey have played played pretty well. It's going to be, you know, probably should get something out of this game. I think if, that, I think if we lost the game, that would have been really harsh. I think we had 62% possession in the game, but also we looked at it because a lot more meaningful in possession. 
as you said, that last ball again was finding it a bit difficult, but we definitely had the chances to win the game. But right at the end, we're saved by our Lord and Saviour, Sean Raggett, who quite highfully afterwards decides instead of celebrating in front of the frat and then to jog back up the other end and see if we can score another goal in the 10 seconds that are remaining. I love that, by the way. (laughs) Always focusing on trying to get the win every time. No, but it was exactly what Pompey deserved. Uh, Not just my thoughts from watching the game. The XG pretty much said that Pompey deserved it as well, which is always a lovely bonus for us all. Um, It was pretty clear that that Pompey were on top most of the time, but the individual errors just handed Plymouth those two goals, which was very frustrating. I also like the fact that Danny Cowley was brave in letting the players go forward when they were 2-1 down. It helped that the crowd was building and building and building. And when when Raggett got that chance and scored, the roof blew off. And it was, it was exactly what Pompey needed. It was exactly what Pompey needed, honestly. Assist from Harrison as well, Freddie, there on the uh, on the head down. Um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. He did, did, did his job perfectly. Um, got... Uh, hung onto the defensive line um, saw, the, saw the cross come in and got above the defender and got his head on it exactly what you would want yeah exactly I think that's playing to his strengths as well I think we want to just make a mention as well that it's not a coincidence that Raggett was in that position in the last minute it's happening repeatedly through games that he's actually getting in quite dangerous positions I mean if you look at the Brown free kick Raggett is the first player in the six yard box after the free kick is taken. So if the keeper gets a hand on that or the keeper gets across and spills it, Raggett is the one who's scoring the rebound. So I think if uh, if we're looking to give credit out for getting in dangerous positions, I think, yeah, credit where it's due to him. It's not it's not a fluke and it wasn't pot luck that he rocked up there in the last minute and wanted that more than the Plymouth defender. It's a repeated theme throughout the matches that he's getting into these dangerous positions and then as you say putting an absolute shift in to get back even if the ball's gone in for a goal so yeah I think uh, it's it's worth highlighting that and giving credit where it's due Under a little bit of pressure I suppose the players are at the moment but Ronan Curtis gets a goal the game before he's team leading four shots in this game as well he picks up the assist for the goal well our secondary assist you'd say in other sports but he puts the ball into the box for Harrison to, to head it down as well. Are we happy with Ronan Curtis playing up front in the two in this formation if he has another striker who can play alongside him and really play the poacher role so he can play just a bit off and drift around and, and play that role? It's a big yes from me. It definitely, allows, right. them to be, it definitely allows them to be more aggressive and um, focus, focus more on him being a proper inside forward where he's getting into dangerous positions centrally. I really liked it. Um, he can go out wide and help Lee Brown. I've also thought Lee Brown, even though many people doubt his mobility, I, I didn't think he looked out of place at left wing back. I thought he played really well and supported Curtis well enough. Uh, I think the big reason why Curtis fits in this front two is how aggressive Pompey pressed in this game. The average passes allowed per defensive action was 5.57, which is intense an intense press throughout the entire game. And yeah, it did, arguably that did lead to um, Plymouth's second goal, I thought, uh, losing the ball in the middle. And I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who put in uh, the cross for Hardy, but it was a whipped ball round. Uh, if, if there was a bit more composure in the midfield and if we won that second ball, that wouldn't have happened. But it definitely played to Pompey's strengths in terms of controlling the game 
which Danny Cowley stressed so much, so many times that he wants control in games. And a big thing with that is pressing, pressing aggressively when it went out of position, always winning the ball back. Um, I don't think uh, the referee's display helped, especially missing the uh, stamp on Joe Morrell in the first half. That was egregious. So that that gave a little bit extra to the press. I thought I thought the Pompey players really, really got stuck in incredibly well, and they need to do that every single time, even though it's hard. Um, that's the two things. It all it both comes down to fitness, the ability to press intensely throughout the entire game, get stuck in, and movement off the ball. All those three things. Fitness is a big part of that, and if that continues for our players in this way of playing, I I, I think. Pompey can finally get that win that they've been wanting and then move from there. It was definitely an encouraging performance. Nah, yeah, definitely encouraging. But let's get to what everyone else says. So we asked you guys, Pompey improved on Cambridge's on, on Cambridge with a last-minute equaliser versus Plymouth. What needs to change for the Blues to get their first win since Shrewsbury? And thanks again, everyone, for messaging in. We're moving in the right direction, we think, is what we've been talking about. But let's, let's hear what you guys think. So... Alfredo 20 messages in, he says, I would personally go for the same system. I feel that it worked, but the only downfall was the individual fuck-ups at the back. But you have to remember that Freeman and Williams ain't centre-backs. If Ogilvy is back in time for Charlton, then I would chuck him at centre-back. He is more natural there. Yeah, absolutely. We said that. Hopefully he is back. John T. Coleman reported that Ogilvy could be back against Charlton, which is really, really, really important. Yeah, I do think, though, that obviously Freeman and Williams aren't centre-backs. That's obviously quite clear. But if we can get the guys back going forward with Robertson playing there as well when he eventually comes back into the squad, I think we've got quite a good team. But it is worrying for me, the lack of uh, depth at centre-back. That's one thing I thought of. Um, if when Robertson comes back and they want to play that position again, it's Robertson and Ogilvy effectively competing for the same spot in the, the free, back three centre-halves because both of them are left-footed. Ogilvy will definitely want to play, play on the left side because he was a left back by trade beforehand. And shifting Robertson onto his wrong foot on that right-hand side might be a bit of a concern because Rag- Raggett's in the right place. He's, he's in the middle of those three where he's entirely focused on man-marking the striker and winning those first headers and being the first out ball from the keeper. So that's a, a team selection thing that Danny Cowley might have to think about when he has more options. Yeah, th- th- that is one of the things about playing that back three I suppose and I, I don't want to say we've got to get other centre-backs to step up because we haven't really got that many pull-downing you know who are you going to call back Haji Minoga hasn't quite worked out yet he's raw and needs to play in non-league so that is the problem I suppose with this formation is have we got the personnel to actually sustain this formation uh, throughout the season Martin Daniels mentions in he says the five th- the three five two worked uh, if Ogilvy comes in, but a problem is the press in a 3-5-2 can't be consistent. The pressure on Brown to play twice a week for a few months means we might have to revert back to the 4-2-3-1 in some games. Well, I don't know. I think Brown looks looks pretty fit. He looks pretty in shape. And it's not something that I'm too concerned about on that side. And you could play someone else there. But guys, do we think that Lee Brown's lack of mobility or fitness could be an issue playing this system throughout the season? I think that's harsh to predict it before it's happened. I personally don't think it's, if it's not an issue at the moment, I don't think it's something we should be worrying about. I think there are bigger problems at hand from the last couple of games, potentially. And I wouldn't want to 
I mean, he's not exactly in um, injury prone. We've seen him limp off. Is it, is it his calf or his hamstring? He's had it, a couple it, of it, He's usually out for a period and season. Yeah. Over the past two seasons, he has been out for not not long periods of time, but for enough where it's a concern with uh, soft muscle injuries. Yeah, it's been a couple of niggles, hasn't it? But he's not crazily injury prone and... I mean, we're not going to play the same system every game anyway, because it's entirely dependent on whether you're home and away and the style of the team you're coming up against and whether or not they're likely to be playing attacking football through the middle or exploiting the wings or sitting in defensive football playing for a nil-nil, which will happen a couple of times at Fratton Park this season. So we're not going to see the same formation every single game. And personally, from, from what I've seen of Lee Brown this season, I mean, we've talked in the past about how at times he's been the furthest forward player on the pitch. And we've never talked about him shirking his defensive responsibilities either. So he's clearly happy going forward and still makes the tracking back when needed. So I I don't think it's a point we need to dwell on too much at this moment in time. If he says he's physically fit enough to do it, who are we to doubt that? And who are we to question it? Could we not potentially, if it's like a game or two, sub in someone like Rico to play weak wing back in that game? I mean, it's going to be ripping a defensive cover, but going forward, is it possible? Or would you rather play the much more defensive Ogilvy in that position? Because you've basically got a trade-off then, haven't you? One player who's sort of playing too far forward and one who's playing too far back. I think it would have to entirely depend on the game state. Um, when Pompey were chasing the game against Plymouth, um, yes, Hacking Fairchild was probably the best player to fill in that spot for Brown because effectively it was an extra winger. Um, he wasn't tracking but or not I think considering the lack of I think there's a lack of depth at left wing back if you go with it um, if Brown is out so I think it would entirely depend on game state if, you, if you're wanting to solidify a result you bring Ogilvy on in that position if, you, if you're chasing the game you bring Rico on it would just a bit, depend a little bit of man management then you know, if he's if he's tiring and we're a couple up, maybe we can uh, we can solidify it and go for Freddie's uh, tactic there. Rob messages in. He says I wouldn't be against starting Hurst. I thought he looked okay against Cambridge, and I think he can hold the ball up better than Marquis and Harrison, allowing the players to run off him. I think the two up front works, but not sure about Curtis up there. Would be interesting to hear see here who Rob thinks should start from Andy. I don't actually mind the idea of her starting up top alongside either Curtis or Harness, a more sort of vibrant on the ground attacking player. I, as I've already said, I quite like Curtis playing in that position and I wouldn't have an issue with Hurst getting some minutes in the place of Marquis and Harrison at that point. Um, I don't see any real harm in it because Marquis is struggling to find the net at the moment. Harrison, I mean, again, I enjoy watching him play. I think he does a lot more good than harm to the side by playing. But in terms of rotation, I'd quite like to see Hurst come and get some minutes because we've got a number of players in the same sort of mould. And if you're going to have that in the squad, you've got to rotate through them a little bit. Otherwise, it's entirely pointless. So, yeah, I quite like the idea that Rob has put forward there of uh, having Hurst up top alongside someone like Curtis. Freddie, do you think, I think it's a bit harsh that Rob said that not sure about Curtis playing up. I think he's actually been the better player up front in that system that we've played so far. I think it's maybe he needs a partner who can play with him in that system. I think that's my, that's my opinion. You know, at this moment in time, you know, I've not really been too impressed with Hurst either, but it's only the start of the season. He's not really had that much game time to impress. So could be a case that he's peak gets a game and, and starts, but it's not filling me with passion, Freddie. What are you feeling about it? 
It's not for me with passion either, but I'm not dismissive of the idea. It's a bit in the middle. Marcus, uh, we're going to have to mention it. He did struggle a bit in this game, I think. Um, he works with, he works with the style of play because he's always on, he's always pressing, which is great. But he has to take one of those two chances that he had, um, especially the first one for me. Second one deflected out for a corner, which happens. But the XG on that last shot, 0.67. He's over 50% to score from there, even though he's stretching. Uh, how, how many times can we say, oh, he needs that goal and then he'll build on? I think he's, he's running out of chances quite quickly for me, to be honest with you. Andy, he's been quite an avant John Marquis defender, I think, he even said on the last podcast. Are you happy to drop him for the next game against Charlton or do you think we need to keep running him in the side? That's a big question. I, at this point, I don't have an issue with some sort of rotation coming into place. I don't think it's going to do anyone any good for people either on social media or on a podcast to hammer him because what possible benefits are there coming out of that? It is the on recording. It's the 22nd of September. What possible benefit is there of people, you know, slating and slagging off from a performance point of view? I have no issue whatsoever with, as I've said, someone like Hurst coming into the side and, and playing in that role, potentially in a two up top. And, yeah, potentially a little bit of time away from the starting lineup could be what he needs. So it is a performance game. He is a striker. He is not scoring goals. I think it comes down to to that if we're looking at the brutal honesty of it. But I think the way that we go about talking about it in terms of the rhetoric, there's a, a right way and a wrong way of doing that. And I think a lot of the stuff on social media at the moment is the wrong way of doing that. There's zero need for it and it's not going to change anything and it's not going to lead to any positive outcomes. So, yeah, purely on performances, I'm happy with rotation. But in terms of the rhetoric surrounding it, I think there are some people at the moment potentially to need to, you know, take a little bit of a look at themselves. I was just going to point out, I see uh, in the news that Ahadmi came to the training ground at 7am, apparently, to try and get get himself back into the team, show that fight for for Danny Cowley to, to play. I think he could be an interesting match with Curtis if Curtis plays off him and then Hadmi's just there for the chances in the box, which is where I think he's best at, actually. I sort of feel that maybe he would, and you can't say he would have scored, but thrived more on that sort of chance when the ball's played across the box and he's just got to put the tap in. That's where I think he looks skill set wise to be stronger. So, Fred, are you feeling that maybe a partnership with a Hadmi and Curtis could work up top? I think it's more interesting than Hurst and Curtis for me. Um, overall uh, yeah he's more he's more of a latching onto the last defender penalty box striker I think that's I think that's where Gasson gets most of his joy so the, the that pair um, I think could work because Curtis can drive play and lots of dribble so he could get on the ball a lot more and then set up I had me keep things keep things simple keep, keep things simple and not overplay it I think that works me, in my opinion, yes, preseason was different, but he showed he showed he showed he can put the ball in the back of the net, so that is something else to consider. James Taylor messages in, he says 3 5 2 work well and will improve once um, Ogilvy and Robertson are back. We need to be smarter when the opposition is counter attacking, as that's three goals conceded from our own corners now. Romeo at class 
and we just have to hope that Marquis finds his shooting boots soon. Yeah, I think we we do agree that we're going to look better when when Ogilvy and Robertson come back. I think that's fair to say. You can't look much worse than having two players who aren't centre backs playing in a back three. So, yeah, I, I completely agree, James. Pompey and Canberra messages in. He says the team and formation seem to work against Plymouth, but it was defensive mistakes that cost us the three points. We've been done on the counter a few times this season, even though our overall defensive record's quite good. Do you guys think the three five two will be only used at home? I don't think necessarily home. Andy, what do you reckon? I think it's more dependent on opposition. I think we're more likely to see it at home. Have I made up that we played it away against Wimbledon in the cup? Have I made that up or is that true? We played 3 5 2. I don't think it was a 3 4 1 2. I think okay, that's. More, of... okay, I remember that we have the wing backs. I remember Hackett Fairchild tracking back a decent amount in that game. So, and that was away from home. I think. Yeah, it's more dependent on the opposition we come up against. And to be honest, who's fit in the side? If we have a centre-back missing like Robertson or, heaven forbid, if we're missing Robertson and Ragged at some point, uh, then it puts a lot of pressure on a back four. And I think potentially a three, three at the back is a bit more likely. So, uh, yeah, I'd say we're more likely to see it at home, but it's more opposition-dependent. Loafers matches in. He says, remove Marquis Harness and Downing from our club bit much well yeah a bit much i also think that maybe the annoyance there point at marcus harness is, in particular is a little bit a little bit harsh and i think it, maybe that comes from the fact that he had that, that passing that was going quite wayward in the game against plymouth and i think that maybe the sort of the end product and stuff is what's frustrating some fans but still the start of the season still playing different positions and hopefully good players just need to be good and i think he's got the talent and you don't get rid of talented players you can do that anyway Sydney Wise messages in, he says, cut out the individual mistakes. I think if Freeman and Williams didn't make those errors, we could have beaten Plymouth. I agree. But then also, if we'd taken a couple of those chances as well, we could have beat them despite the defensive errors. So, you know, I think the Curtis, the header as well, and the front post that he sort of flicks across when he sort of has an open goal. If he just gets that on target, that's a goal. Obviously, we spoke about Marquis as well, could have had a penalty. So... Cutting out the defensive mistakes definitely would have let, let us to win this game from a narrow margin. But I think actually we created enough in this game to win despite those defensive mistakes. Jack Chapman messages in. He says, we need to replicate whatever we did in the first half against Plymouth. We look well up for it. I don't know what else we can do. Well, Jack, let's hope we carry that on. Lewis Pete messages in. John Marcus seriously needs to be dropped. He doesn't bring anything for the team and doesn't even finish chances on a plate. I'll bring in a Hadney. And also Ogilvy for Williams, possibly Jacobs for Harness, though I'm not desperate for that one. Well, we said that Jacobs could potentially play in the hole. I know Andy thinks he could play at 10 as well. We discussed that. He has played there for Wigan. So there is an option to play him there and he could float either side as well. I don't think there's anything wrong with giving that a go. He doesn't seem to be favoured at the moment to start. So it's a it's one of those things at the moment that Maybe it happens if things don't work out over time in the next few games and we sort of end up trying new things after new things. But I'd be quite surprised to see him start there. But, you know, you never know at this moment in time. Danny Cowley definitely likes to keep us guessing, doesn't he, with his lineups. Marquis, we've, we've gone on to that. And I do agree that Hadmi could be quite good to come in there and hopefully Ogilvy can come in and really shore it up. Because I think with him and Raggett at the back, that's sort of the two of the three who are, who are more classics or centre-backs in that sense so yeah I'm actually quite excited if we can see them two play together and I think that will give us a lot more um, defensive solidity going forward 
All right, let's move on. So we spoke to Lewis from Chelton Live. We've spoken quite a lot of detail. There's quite a lot of tactical analysis going on in this in this conversation. So if you want to know a lot about what's going in, players coming in, we speak about Craig McGivery, how he's getting on, Stockley, how they're playing through him as a target man striker, who Pompey tried to get as well. So you can maybe get a feel for if you wanted him in the summer, how he could have fitted in up front for Portsmouth as well. But enough of me talking. This is the interview with Lewis from Charlton Live. All right, I'm here with Lewis from Charlton Live. And Lewis, thanks for coming on the show. No worries, guys. No worries at all. Nice one. Well, it's not been the best start for Charlton and it's the same as being for Pompey, really. It's been a bit of a getting used to the team, etc. But what were the expectations at the start of the season? Surely it's got to be at least a top six finish, really, for Charlton. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, we've obviously been through the well-documented ownership troubles over the last few seasons. Um, we got promoted a couple of years ago under some of those ownership struggles with Lee Bowyer. And I think we really felt like that would be the the rebound that we needed to kick on. He obviously, uh, we had the club sold uh, to ESI in that same season in the championship as well, which came with a lot of promise originally. Um, and sadly, that that proved to be just as controversial as the era we had before under Roland de Chatelet. So it's been very topsy-turvy. We obviously got relegated. Um, on the last day of the season, which was wasn't a true reflection of how how that season panned out, and then obviously last year was a bit of a write off, you know, behind closed doors and everything. New owner Thomas Sangard came in um, about a year ago now um, and set some pretty high expectations for us, um, especially this season. Now last season there was a slight chance of of nicking the playoffs at the end, but I don't think anyone really expected us to do it. So. We missed out on goal difference right at the death. And I don't think anyone was that bothered, to be honest. We, we weren't ready. Um, the main focus really was this season, um, obviously under Nigel Atkins as well, a manager with a great uh, CV and pedigree at this level and getting teams promoted um, and some, you know, reliant on some decent business in the window under an owner that would be able to provide a bit of stability and a, and a bit of uh, funding to do that. Um, so the expectations were pretty high. I've been honest, the summer was a bit of a, a bit of a bluff if, if I'm being honest I think the recruitment wasn't where we wanted it to be um you, you guys know what it's like when you have to rebuild especially down in, in league one and stuff you you kind of want to get your business out of the way early in pre-season so you've got that preparation especially after last season where it was also topsy-turvy and, and and messed up I think what would have been key but Nigel Atkins would have been to have his squad in place as early in pre-season as possible um, to best prepare for the season and create that, that team bond and that, that unity and gelling that you need early on. But that didn't happen. I think mistakes have been made. And as you said, you know, a bit of a disappointing start so far. And I think a lot of that is, is down to the, the effects of, of not being active enough, not being pushy enough in the summer window to try and get ourselves in a decent position before the big kickoff. So based on that, Lewis, if you look back to this time last year and your squad at the start of the 2020 to 2021 season, would you say that on paper, at least if we discount the results so far this season, that the squad's taken a backward step in terms of strength? It's a difficult one, really, because I mean, this time last year, um, Thomas had just come into the club. So we were really running on a on a threadbare side. Um, our first game of the season, we had like 18 year old Charlie Barker playing who never played any league football starting at centre half against Crew, um, 
we had young players, uh, Albie Morgan, George Lapsley, coming in and, and playing uh, in centre mid. And, and we found ourselves a little bit short, if I'm being honest. The squad on paper now, when you look at it on paper, is miles better, leagues above. When you look at players like Dayalang Jayasimi, who we signed last year from Swindon, a great pacey winger. We re-signed Jonathan Lecco on loan, who spent time with us in the Championship. We signed Harry Arter, who's got great pedigree in the Premier League and the Championship for this level, especially. I think he's a great signing. Elliot Lee as well. These are all great players that make us better than we were last season on paper. But the problem with the business is that it wasn't done early enough. So on deadline day, we brought in Sam Lavelle from uh, from Morecambe, Morecambe captain, uh, centre-half. Jonathan Lecco, we brought Harry Arter in. Uh, Elliot Lee just before that. So you, you're bringing in those four players um, you know, in a short space of time right at the end of the window. They've only really had a game or two to try and get settled. I mean, Harry Art hasn't played any football for the last year or so. If you're making those signings early, at least he's got a pre-season to try and get up to speed. And especially with a player like Harry Art, the expectation's really high because of the pedigree that he comes with. Um, and he's not been able to hit the ground running. The same with the likes of Papa Suarez. You know, he's only playing in the Premier League for Palace uh, a few seasons ago before he had his car accident. Signing players of that level in League One, you think, would you know, would be great business. And I'm sure they will be in time. Our biggest frustration at the moment, I think, as fans is that we've not we've not reacted early enough. We knew the position we were in at the end of last season. Therefore, why are we not going out and building early? Why are we not getting a, pe- a competitive squad together now so that, you know, there's no hiccups or, or misstarts of the season? And unfortunately, so far, the season has been a complete uh, misstart, if I'm being honest with you. Do you think the tactics of Charlton Athletic have added to the problems of um, all the new players coming in and just a general lack of cohesion over the um, the first few games, or is it, or is it simply that the business wasn't done early enough, so that so the players haven't gelled together yet? No, I think it's a it's a real 50-50 split. If I'm being honest, Freddie, I think that what we've had with um, with tactics so far with Nigel Atkins is that we signed Jaden Stockley in the summer, who you guys are obviously in for as well. Fantastic striker at this level, a, a real, a real good striker. He did great for us last season. Really excited to see him come in, but he comes with a slight negative on the team that he's so good in the air that that becomes your reliant direct play. That's all you play, and the issue being is when whatever for whatever reason we're not pushing players up alongside him enough, or you're you're not making those runs. And with the midfield that we have, we're just kind of bypassing it all the time. And you're bringing in players like Elliot Lee, Harry Arter, Albie Morgan, you know, all decent midfield players, but you're knocking the ball over the top of them every time to Jaden Stockley, who's got nothing up there with him. It only took sort of three or four games for people to realise that that was our only outlet. And once you mark Jaden Stockley out of the game, we're pretty much, you know, we're nothing. And we saw at Gillingham last night, he changed it up and took Stockley out of the side, which I think was was quite harsh because it's not the player that's making, he's, he's not making them passes to himself. You know, he's not choosing for us to play long. He's, he's just the person that's trying to deliver up there on his own. But we dropped him last night and it did stop the players from playing that long ball. And we played much better in the first half, but for whatever reason, we resorted to it again in the second half playing this long ball. You leave your midfield completely out of the game and you've got a guy who's not as capable in the air as Jaden Sockley trying to win it. So there's definitely some question marks over Nigel Atkins' tactics at the moment. I think his positions definitely come under under pressure quite early on, which to me may feel slightly premature, but given the expectations set at the start of the season, I know it's early on, but you guys probably feel the same that 
the gap from us to the top six is still a gap and you have to make that gap up at some point and it becomes increasingly difficult as the season wears on and more games are played and games are called off for internationals and you, you're playing Saturday, Tuesday and you're picking up injuries and we're, we're giving ourselves a real uphill battle before we've even really begin, you know, begun to mount a promotion challenge and, that, and that's really concerning to see. We talked about sort of how, you know, the skillful players you brought in in the midfield and Stockley up front, which, you know, Pompey fans really did want to sign and we thought we had a good chance, but he obviously used this a little bit for the negotiation to sign a better contract with you guys. I understand he, he fitted in well there, but my, my actual thinking is there's a little bit off left field here, but the player I really wanted us to sign in the summer was um, Fameu. I think he's a good pass for the ball. Um, I'd be interested to see how he fits in in that squad because on a team that really, with the players you have, should be passing the ball out the back. He, he can actually bring it out well and, and has quite good dis- dis- distribution. So, yeah, how is he settling in? I know he played last season for you, but surely playing the ball through him into the midfield would be a wise move for Atkins or Scummer Atkins, if I'm trying not to say too much. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I mean, we've got, he, he, of the defenders we have, we have Ryan Innes as well, Sam Lavelle obviously coming in, Jason Pierce. you would say as a centre-half, that the Akin is is the strongest with the ball at his feet and bringing the ball out. The frustration for him can be when he's he becomes overly relied on because I think the fitness of Ryan Innes is always put into question. I mean, he's out injured at the moment for a couple of months, which is a real shame because he's a big player for us in terms of you know actual ability and also height. He's about six, about six for eight or something stupid. Um, so we miss him at the moment, and he formed a fairly decent partnership with with Akin Fainway last season. We've seen a few wobbles this season. I think that's purely down to the fitness of Ryan Innes. Um, not pinning it all on him, but he had a, a, a quite hesitant pre-season because of the injury he had last year, trying to manage his game time because he is so important. And for whatever reason, he's, he's had a relapse in injury. And I think now that pressure falls on, on Akin slightly more. Sam Lavelle coming in you know, two or three weeks into his Charlton career, he's kind of got that free pass at the moment. So a lot of that defensive responsibility and leadership from the back is coming from, from Fainway. He was dropped last night. He had a bit of a disappointing performance at, um, at Wickham on Saturday in terms of his distribution, which, as you say, is totally out of character for him. Um, but I imagine it will be a short-term drop. I can see him back in the side on um, on Saturday. Um, but I was I was very happy to sign him and bring him back because he really impressed me last year. And when he was injured last year, we went on our worst run of the season. Um, so to get him in and also with that option to buy as well, I think that shows not just that we're able to bring in these players but also now we're doing the right business and not just getting loans but trying to secure a, get a bit of security as well and being able to purchase them and, and get options to buy if we want to so yeah excited to see what I can do this season and, and hopefully beyond that as well if, if he's not playing in the side do you think that that's going to help Pompey from a press perspective because you know Pompey will try and play up they will try and sort of play an offside trap put pressure on you in the front um, and, and play up down the wings do you think that if he's not in the side, it's going to sort of almost prevent Charlton from passing the ball through the press more and you'll end up going long up to the top of the strikers, which I think Pompey would be quite happy with if you're going to lump the ball long rather than sort of try and play it through us. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to hope we stick away from the long ball because that's when the fans start to turn, um, especially if you if you manage to mark Jaden Stockley out of the game and that midfield's been completely bypassed, then then yes, it'll be a real issue. Um with with Akin Fenway, I'd like to see him in the sides. Um, when he's not, I mean, his, his immediate replacement is Jason Pierce, who is a fantastic leader and a great servant for the football club. He's been here a while now, um, probably very good around the dressing room, but is coming towards the, the latter stages of his career now. Um, 
and is there is a mistake in him or or you know he's he's not got the the same pace he may have had a couple of years ago and he can get caught out especially if you've got pacey strikers or wingers cutting in and you've got Piercy as the last man you know the likelihood is that he's going to he's going to commit the foul to try and stop play and he's not always as good at bringing the ball out either but he is a big leader so if Akin wasn't to play and Piercy would come in the, the ball playing attributes would drop but I think that leadership quality is something we've missed this season and Piercy for me is probably the only person I see at that football club that's got a bit of leadership trait about him at the moment that's one of our biggest hiccups is that you you guys know Jason Pierce as well as as well as we do that he's a real shouter and a motivator and he likes to get an opponent's it you know gets in the opponent's head when they're maybe booked or something like that there was a, a couple of uh, dodgy dives from the Gillingham striker yesterday and, and Piercy was in his ear the whole second half and you could see it was really winding him up so that attribute from Piercy is fantastic but if you want someone that's going to play the ball out and be a little bit more assured at the back then I'd, I would probably say that Akin has to start over him How's our favourite boy Big Craig getting on? We're all a little bit worried about him when he left obviously Pompey have done some good business and brought in Gavin Bazzuno on loan from Man City who's, who's fitted in and been probably our best player I think it's safe to say you know when he's not step stopping penalties against Ronaldo he's uh, he's playing at Pompey but I think uh, Craig is obviously a player that we really rated and how's he settled in at Charlton? Yeah I mean firstly what a signing for us to get to get in because obviously we've seen him from the outside we you know picking up player of the year awards for yourselves and and turning out performances for yourselves that have been a, a very high level. So when we saw Craig come in the door, I was very happy with that signing. Very, very happy with it. The first few games, he had a bit of a wobble, slightly. Um, a little bit erratic, maybe. Um, but he's definitely settled now. And I think probably the same position as um, Basenu for yourselves, that he's probably been our best player. And the poor start that we've had so far would have been a, a lot poorer if it wasn't for for Craig and, and his performances. He's made some outstanding saves in games that have kept scores down. Um, he's also been very present on Twitter with the fans. I don't know if he was like that with Pompey, but when the when the fans are down and on the players' backs and stuff, he's not afraid to, to duck out of the limelight. He came out after some difficult performances and said, it's not right, we will turn it around. And he's probably the only other person close to Piercy in terms of leadership. Um, so yeah I've, I've been really impressed with Craig so far um, a great signing um, and I think once once we maybe shore up a little bit of the back and, and do him a favour rather than getting him peppered all game especially when we start playing that long ball and the, the foot comes off the gas and he's the busiest player in, in a Charlton shirt um, hopefully you know it settles down from a little bit but yeah all in all apart from a, a little shaky start I think he's probably been our signing of the summer um, really impressed with him and I'm, I'm very very happy that we managed to get that deal over the line Nice Lewis how far away would you say Charlton are from there being any form of pressure on Adkins at this point obviously Pompey fans probably aren't too upset to see um, a manager with his club history struggling a little bit um, purely looking at social media and well Twitter specifically after games you would think that the fans were piling a bit of pressure on, but obviously social media isn't representative of the whole fan base. It's quite a vocal minority. How much pressure do you think actually is on within the club? And if not much at this point, how long is the current run sustainable, would you think, before people start talking? I'd say that the pressure is on. I mean, the pressure is definitely there. Um, the you, you know what it's like when you start to feel that, that change in in tied with a manager. I suppose you guys have had it fairly recently with, with Kenny Jacket and 
it, you you start to sort of see things change. And, and Nigel's only been here since what March when Lee Bowyer left. Um, <clears throat> had a strong strong finish to last season, which is why this season so baffling. Um, but I just don't think we replaced certain players. But I think at the moment, because the bar was set so high by the owner uh, and by Nigel himself uh, pre-season and at the end of last season, the fact that we've started um, so poorly hasn't helped that. And also some of the performances being so questionable. Uh, and, and Nigel's a very positive character. So I think when your team's losing and can't get out of a losing run, the last thing fans want to hear sometimes is a manager come out and say, we have got to look how good we were for that 20-minute spell in the first half. You know, a game is 90 minutes and the performance has to be there the whole way through. You cannot slack off at this level. We're one of the favourites in the division, but no one has a God-given right to be in that top six. You know, you see in League One every season that it gets more and more competitive and the stature of the teams and the clubs in there grow and grow because so many underdogs make the step up. You know, you look at clubs like yourselves, Charlton, Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday, Wigan, in that league now. It's huge. The competition is huge. Ipswich as well. You know, there's so many sides down there and there's no God-given right to get out of it whatsoever. And, and that proves just how much the quality is improving at these smaller clubs and that these bigger clubs can't generate the form to get out of it. Some of them have been down here for years now. You know, they always start so well, but they always tail off. And that with us, I think our owner underestimated how competitive this division can be. Um, and I think Nigel underestimated how competitive this division can be. Like I said earlier, we left the business too late, which probably wasn't Nigel's wish. I think he, that probably annoyed him and has left him kind of facing the flat because managers ultimately and naturally do face the flat because it's a results business. Um, so at the moment, I mean, fans are definitely on his back big time. Um, we've got two big home games now. Um, one against yourselves, which will be a, a great atmosphere because no doubt you guys will set out the Jimmy Seed. We'll probably have a fairly decent crowd at home as well. So it will be lively. It'll be a big atmosphere. As soon as the performance isn't there in that instance and, and you guys are shouting and screaming and we're, and we're up against it, that atmosphere can turn very quickly if the performance isn't there. And then we've got a very tough Tuesday night game against Bolton at the Valley as well. They're two huge home games where I think he has to turn it around in those two. If we come out of those two with nothing, I would be probably 70% sure that he would probably be on his way um, because if you leave it too late sometimes, as, as much as I don't want to be that fan that wants to see managers lose their jobs, you, you can only have a certain time before you, you give clubs this head start and you can only penalise your own season by putting faith in somebody that it just naturally isn't working for so long before you have to make that change. So I'd say he probably has another two, another two games or so to try and turn this around, two to three games, and then there'll be a likely international break. So I think if, if the form hasn't improved before that international break, I, I imagine that, that we may be looking for a new manager. You mentioned that Charlton needs to turn this around. If you had to, is there like that one little bit of light in this team, the main strength that you can think of, of how, how these performances can change? What would it be? And what do you think the biggest weakness of this side is that Portsmouth could exploit on Saturday? I think our main concern is that we have to play to our strengths a lot more. We've, we've seen it over the last two games that Nigel's taken wingers out of the side because he doesn't feel that's where we're strong. And then when those wingers have come in, uh, either you know midway through the second half or, or whatever, 
that there's there's been a change in the in the momentum of how we play and there's been a huge shift in that and i think that we have to exploit those areas we have to we've got um dialang jayasimi charlie kirk who we've signed from crew we've got Corey blackett taylor who we signed from uh from Tramir on a free who got released who played last night and was absolutely outstanding and to have these sorts of players that are turning out those performances that's where the strength is at the moment Jaden Stockley is, is a strength in himself because of his height is, and his physicality. But the service has to be there for him. And that's that's where we need to rely on these wingers more. Their final product has to be much better. I think really the only winger so far that I've been impressed with in terms of their, their final product is Corey Blackett-Taylor, who was the underdog of the wingers, really. Came in with a bit of a, a, a tarnished reputation from Trammer of having a bit of an attitude. But he's come in and performed outstandingly these last two games and been our player, player of the match by by some way in both of those games. Jai Simi has it in him to do the same. Charlie Kirk, we haven't seen enough of yet, which is a disappointment for me because he was so outstanding for Crew. But I have no doubt that that will, that will come in time. I think he's been at Crew for a very long time, so it will take him a while to adjust and adapt. Um, and they're the areas we need to we need to improve on better. We're, they're the areas we need to use because what we're playing at the moment with this long ball, which is what we seem to resort to when we panic, isn't good enough. And, that, and that's where we struggle. So hopefully we can get the upper hand on, on Saturday and be, be on the front foot because that's when we're at our best. As soon as the opposition has a slight spell of positivity, we, we tend to like go into our shell and relegate ourselves into this, into this shell of just hoofing it long and hoping for the best. And that's when, when the wheels start coming off. So we need to, we need to ditch this long ball system because it doesn't work regardless of having a, a striker that's six foot five and, and is good in the air he's also good with his feet and very good at bringing others into play so use those strengths for other things don't just lump a ball to him and expect him to win it every time because if you come up against a decent league one centre half they'll bully him out of the game and often as well because of his height and his physicality every time he does win the ball it ends up being blown to a foul so we've got to change that system that's where we'll be exploited especially by you guys on Saturday if we don't look at playing to our strengths and by far this season so far the only strength we've had has been is our wing play and being able to to have you know the opposition defenders and and right and left backs on the back foot because they've got so much pace there that's where we've got to be strong it's going to be really interesting because Pompey played out a sort of three four one two in the last game we've got uh, Romeo who picked up from Millwall one side Lee Brown he's got two goals this season on on the left wing backside and both of those players will push you up high um so it's going to be quite interesting to see if it's the battle of who can get on the front foot on the wide side if you're trying to get your wingers into play we're trying to press you from the front with those fullbacks and if we can get our fullbacks forward rather than your wingers pressing us that might be quite an interesting thing i think a second thing to watch i suppose in that sense is pompey've looked really vulnerable in the counter attack in the last game which we've discussed so if you can get the balls down wide quickly on in transition and get the ball forward. And, you know, we've got Clark Robertson out at the centre-back. We had to play, you know, Williams in, in the centre-back position. He's a midfielder. Freeman is a right-back in centre-back in a back three, effectively. So if you we've got space to exploit, if you can get the likes of Charlie Kirk quickly, to, the ball turned around to him and, and played up against us when we push forward. But I'd be interested to see if Cholton actually do try and play it what I'd say is a sort of a counter-attacking style, which you wouldn't usually see for someone to play at home against us, really. Yeah, I think, to be honest, as, as I sort of half mentioned before, we played that a little bit yesterday at Gillingham. Not so much a counter, but as soon as we got the ball, we were immediately looking to catch them on the break with the pace. And that's that's where we were in our strength. That Corey Blackett-Taylor yesterday was unplayable against Gillingham. Absolutely unplayable. Everything fell to him nicely. 
he took on his man, he had the pace, his final ball was good. And that's where we were strong. Likewise, you need to pair it up on the other side because the only negative yesterday was that we had a natural winger there and then we had Connor Washington, who's more of a striker. He's not quite got that same pace and trickery about him, where if you could have two equivalents either side feeding into a Stockley or a Washington, that's where the strengths come in. Jonathan Lecco is a great option out wide and up front, so he could be someone that I, that I could see lining up on the other wing. Also, Charlie Kirk, who... Is, would play much better with an attacking left back. And that's where we've been short this season is we've been forced to play Chris, uh, Chris Gunter at, at left back, um, not his natural position. And, and it's shown, to be honest. Um, ben Perrington's just come back in now. Um, he played yesterday, which is good, first minutes of the season. And, and also Papasuare getting up to speed with his fitness. They're two left backs that like to get forward. Um, I'd say at the moment, favourably Ben Perrington's probably better because I think his his positioning awareness is better. But it will be good to see Charlie Kirk with a natural left back that he can work on the overlap with and, and intertwine with because we've not seen that so far with Gunter because he's always had to come onto his stronger foot to play. Um, so with Kirk being out of the side the last few games purely because of that, I think I wouldn't be surprised if he did come back in now. We've got a natural left back that he can he can link up with. And yeah, that would that would contribute to our strengths definitely. Um in terms of counter-attacking play. Like I say, unless we we resort to this long ball, and for whatever reason it comes off, I can't I can't see us going for it. Um, but I I hope, and I think most Charlton fans hope that we we stick away from that long ball system because I think as soon as it works a couple of times, any decent league one footballer will suss out how to defend it, and then the rest of the game, you you know your your plan goes out the window. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if Romeo can, he's actually rapid on the right-hand side, can really push forward and sort of get you guys on the back foot there and stop the wingers coming forward. But Lewis, it's time to wrap this and get into the, the meaty bit of the show, should we say. So I'm going to ask you for your score prediction for the game on Saturday. A tough one. I think given there'll be a, a big away crowd, big following, um, and probably a decent and noisy home crowd as well. Off the back of a point Tuesday, I think I can see this one ending all square. I'm going to go. I'm going to go one all. I think I'm going to go with a one all draw. Yeah, I think that, I think that could that could be the case, but we'll see. Lewis, thanks again for coming on the show. Could you tell everyone they can find you? Yeah, so you can find us over on Twitter at Charlton Live and on Instagram. Um, any Charlton fans that are watching this, our shows on a uh, release on a Thursday evening and a Sunday evening um, with myself, Louis Mendez, Tom Wallin, Nathan Muller. And everybody. So, um, yeah, you can catch us on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and the pods hit Spotify, Apple Music, and, and all your other podcast uh, distributors. Yeah, sweet. Um, and as we say to everyone, good luck for the rest of the season against, against Nesh against us. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. You too. <laughs> Cheers, dude. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Liz, for coming on the show. That was, that was a real good fun to have a chat about it. Another team that's struggling, and I think that, well, struggling are much more than us, aren't they, Freddie? Yeah, it sounds it. Um, I started getting deja vu from that interview for, because a lot of the problems that Lewis mentioned were under Kenny Jackett's Pompey for, for a long while. It's a strange one because on paper they have the talent. They definitely do. They definitely have the talent at both ends of the pitch. It's just about putting it together and if they continue to have those problems, but a Pompey should be able to capitalise on them, surely. Yeah, 100%. I think, I think this is a game, and I've said this last week, and the week before but I do think this is a game that we can go and get a win we have to because you've got Sunderland coming up the week after as well that's not going to be an easy game to win they're doing very well at the start of the season so 
right, we've done a lot of talking about the Charlton game in the last one. So what I'm going to do now is going to get into the meaty part of the of the of the show, and I'm going to ask you guys, Andy, what is your score prediction for the game against Charlton? Oh, and your goal scorers. I will go two one win for Pompey. Goal scorers, I think Curtis will score another one. And let's go Hurst. We'll go a bit left field. I think Hurst will start and score at some point in the game before coming off late on. That's my prediction. Nice. Predicting a win, two goals away from home. I'm already feeling excited for after the few beers I've had before heading down to the Valley. Freddie, what's your prediction, mate? I'm very positive about this game. I think I'm thinking that Saturday was uh, an anomaly and hopefully we never have to mention it ever again. Tuesday was much better. If you go with that formation against Charlton, who are looking to go a bit more direct to the bit long ball, I think Pompey will be fine. I'm going to go with a 2-0 Pompey win. Very positive, I know. Um, goals, I think Curtis is getting in the right positions play, playing in that too. So I think he'll score and find that. But also, Lee from football is getting another one. Has to be. He has to stay our top goal scorer, surely. Literally read my mind, mate. You literally read my mind. All right, I'm going to go with a 3-1 Pompey win. I think the goals can come now. We scored two against Plymouth. I, I don't fancy Charlton to be as lethal in front of goal at this moment in time, purely because of the t- sort of chances they're making at the moment for Stockley. I actually fancy our wide players to really p- push their wingers back quite deep, forcing them to go long. I think when you've got Romeo pushing far, far forward, Lee Brown's been getting forward on that side as well. And if we can push up, quite a high line, I think. And Stockley's not like a rapid striker who's going to get in behind you as much and cause problems. I think we've actually set up quite nicely against Charlton, who in the past we sort of struggled against with their sort of narrow diamond formation that sort of clogs the midfield, but doesn't seem to be working for them at the moment. They don't seem to know what they're doing. 4-4-2, 4-3-3. And I'm just looking at their team at the moment, a lot of good players that don't seem to be playing as well uh, as a union. And you can say about us, but they're doing a lot worse, a lot worse as a club at the moment in time. So I'm going to go 3-1. Lee Brown to get one goal as well. Why not? Go on, Lee. I'll put a couple of quid on this week. Probably going to go down the drain. We'll go for that. I'm going to go with a goal from Curtis and a goal from Ahadmi to come onto the pitch and score a tap-in at the end as Charlton Press for a 3-1 Pompey win. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to be here, buddy. Uh, yeah, lovely to see you at the weekend. See you at the next one. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a big one. I'm looking forward to going away again and then back to Fratton Park for the week. But Freddie, thanks for the show. Cheers, Hugh. It's been really nice. And it was nice to see um, some of the listeners um, on Saturday as well. That was, that was a big thing. Uh, thanks for all your support and uh, wonderful messages as well. It's been really nice. Yeah, nice one, people. Much appreciated as always. Um, I'll be up having a few beers around London Bridge somewhere. So if you see me staggering around, come and say hello. I'll try and do the same to everyone else. But until next time, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle!